Welcome to Descoped, the payment security podcast, the go-to show from VGS or fintech product builders and leaders. You're about to hear a conversation from experts in payments, issuing, and data security, sharing their best practices and real-world experiences. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to Descoped. As a longtime professional podcaster and being relatively new to the team here at VGS, it's a little intimidating to have the CEO of the company that I'm working for on as a guest. But I know this will be a great conversation to let our listeners and the fintech and payments industry at large learn more about you and how your journey led you here to VGS. Welcome to the podcast, our new CEO, Chuck Yu. Thank you, Megan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We had to, as a part of your press junket, <laughs> being part of the team here, we definitely wanted to include you in this relaunch of the podcast. So I'm going to read your bio for those who don't know all about Chuck Yu. As the CEO of Very Good Security, Chuck Yu brings extensive experience and a proven track record in financial services. With a diverse background in executive leadership roles at Visa Inc., Point Digital Finance, and TrialPay, including leading the Visa Global FinTech team, Chuck has consistently driven growth, fostered innovation, and steered diverse teams in the rapidly evolving world of finance and technology. Prior to joining Very Good Security, Chuck served as Chief Revenue Officer at TrialPay, Inc., where he played a crucial role in its acquisition by Visa in 2015. Holding a BA from the University of California, Berkeley, and a Juris Doctor from UCSF Law, Chuck leverages his unique blend of legal expertise and business acumen to drive VGS's mission of providing secure, compliant, and scalable payment security solutions. Okay, so is that, it's always weird hearing your own your own bio back to you, right? <laughs> I love it. It really jumps out when the years are put in there. I don't know if I should feel old or young when I hear it. 2015, it feels very recent. Well, I mean, I feel like we've got a couple years that kind of almost don't exist. So to me, that sounds like yesterday. <laughs> That's right. All right, so let's start at the beginning of the beginning of the actually not beginning. So you're new to leading the executive team here at VGS, but you've been in the fold with the company for a while now, having been a board observer. So I'd love for you to share first what made you take the reins. And then if you want to um, tell us a little bit more about your time at Visa, I think that'd be great. Sure. Well, I think we can answer those kind of simultaneously. I was at Visa from about 2015 to about 2022. In between there, I stepped away for a little bit, but I came right back. And I think this is a, a period of time when non-traditional banks really jumped into the payments game on the issuing side of payments. And so you saw a lot of kind of these rocket ship-like experiences really coming to fruition. Things like Chime and Cash App in the US and neobanks in Europe like Monzo and N26. So there's just been this incredibly fast evolution of companies uh, growing between 2015 and 2022 while I was at Visa. VGS was one of the companies that I think really facilitated a lot of this growth. Um, you know, these were not banks. They were not used to handling card information, getting an infrastructure set up 
that let you store cards safely, descope PCI, and then still build your product very quickly. Um, that's what VGS value proposition was day one. It continues to be the value proposition now. And I think its availability in the ecosystem fostered this whole generation of growth. And it's just been, you know, I watched it as an observer since Visa made its investment. Then I, you know, was fortunate enough to be tapped on the shoulder to join as a board observer. I got to sit in a bunch of board meetings, watch the progress of the business. It was doing fantastically. It is still doing fantastic. But like from my perspective, there's so much more we can still do. And I think that's why I decided to take the reins when the opportunity came. Excellent. Yeah. So this is your first CEO role, even though you've been doing all the other amazing things. That's right. I've uh, I've been in other C-level roles, but this is my first time as the, the CEO. Very excited. Yeah, very cool. Well, we're we're happy to have you with the background that you have, obviously, is pretty awesome for us as a team. So it does feel a bit like payments are eating the world right now. <laughs> Mobile wallets, alternative payment methods, subscriptions, you know, invisible payments. But at the same time, we're seeing security or maybe the lack thereof eating payments. So can you take a look back I'd like you to like maybe take a look back and then look into your crystal ball here for a minute. So let's start first with what do you think is top of mind for merchants, fintechs, and banks right now as it pertains to payments? And then how has it evolved? And then what do you see in the future? Yeah, so super top of mind, and I think we're in April as we record this, is SVB recently had a, a major problem, to say the least. And I think you saw the entire fintech and startup community really spend a week and a half scrambling to figure out what was going on with you know their hard-earned venture cash that they needed to operate their business. And then for fintech businesses, you know the operating lifeblood, the the payment volume, where was that going? So I I think the what the knockdown effect from that recent experience has been is a lot of folks looking at you know the redundancy in their stack making sure that, you know, should one piece break, do we have a solution to prevent that, to prevent, you know, ensure continuity, prevent the break in the future? Um, so I think that's that's been top of mind for, I think, a lot of CEOs in the last six months is making sure that, like, their stack is durable. The second thing is, and I think we're in a, a tough macroeconomic environment with you know, inflation and post-pandemic recovery still happening, I think a lot of CEOs right now in the fintech ecosystem is looking at their cost and making sure that they're tightly kind of very controlled in their spending. Right? And so I think it's very common for in fintechs to just you know start adding tools, things that promise to do great things when you initially vet them. And then over time, you have just too many in your ecosystem, in your, in your product. And so I think that's been top of mind right now is just making sure that you have what you need and then pushing out the things that you don't. Yeah, for sure. And then what do you see in the future? Crystal ball time. Um, yeah, I don't think like we're Americans. So like, for those uh, on the pod that don't know, like both Megan and I are based in California. And I think to see the crystal ball of payments, all you got to do is travel a little. Right. And you go to markets like, you know, Australia, which is the payment of future. You pull out your credit card or your debit card there, they'll look at you like you're a Neanderthal. 
right? Like everything there is based on a mobile device. You look at markets like India and Brazil, and they have these really, really sound nationally run RTP networks where a lot of the payments are flowing through rails provided by government-sponsored entities at very low cost. And so I think there's just examples from all over the world where you know, you, you kind of have gone away from just swipe card, dip card at terminal. And it's been, you know, mobile based, digitally driven, and a lot of different experiencing experiences happening, all of it to make it faster and cheaper. And then our, of course, VGS, we're focused on making it safer. Right. And that's how our entrance in this works. Right. Yeah. I, I have to say, I, I have been shocked how long it's taken the U.S. And this is card present, which is, that's not our bag just yet. But when going to Europe and them swiping my card right there and not ever taking possession of my card, I'm I'm surprised now whenever someone takes my card and wants to hold on to it because I feel like I know what they could be doing, you know, while they're holding on to that card. And so yeah. now we're seeing, like you say, more mobile payments. In addition to that being just easier as a consumer, it being so much safer. For everybody, assuming that our mobile payment provider is keeping that data secure, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So I want to talk partnerships for a minute. Partnerships and community are two of my my favorite passions. So partnerships really, they have the ability to help organizations move forward together, having the potential to accelerate product growth and customer acquisition at a pace that I think is otherwise not possible or might be more difficult. So what's your approach to partnerships? And then to take that a step further, what does the future of partnerships look like in payments, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a wave of consolidation of roles in the ecosystem. And And so both on the issuing and the acquiring side, you know, you've had Historically, to bring a card program to market, you had a bin sponsor, you had an issuer processor, and then you had a program manager that would manage your card program. Over the last few years, that's really collapsed, right? And same thing on the acquiring side. What you're really seeing are, you know, companies, the PSP is really offering more and more services. I think that consolidation has kind of reached this logical conclusion and the surviving entities that are, are floating around the ecosystem really offer extraordinarily valuable services that you can't, you, you don't want them in a consolidated stack. You want them freestanding because there's just such level of expertise in it. So like I take example, like fraud prevention, right? Like you're seeing a lot of services just come up and really help create accounts, provision cards in the first place. These are examples of like, they just go very, very deep into one portion of the payments ecosystem and do it great, right? And I think, you know, I I think that is the trend you're seeing is like the surviving entities, you're not going to see vertical consolidation trying to be a one-stop shop for everything. You're going to see absolute mastery of certain areas of the ecosystem. We like to think we've mastered security, but other companies have mastered other portions of the payment ecosystem. Yeah, they work together. So, yeah, and there's potential, obviously, to get us exposure to customers that we might not have had exposure to and vice versa, too, right, as we partner with these other companies. That's right. And so I, I think that that drives the partnership strategies. Like, there's always the age-old question of build, partner, buy. I think everyone's at the logical conclusion of building and buying. This is the right time for partnerships to add those services that you need. Yeah, that's actually great 
transition to, to my next question. I want to go a little deeper on that. So several years ago, I had Oracle as a client, and they, they would often balk paying for a software tool or a vendor, you know, that of course for us would make things easier <laughs> and save time within the scope of the project. But their perspective was, oh, we have developers. We'll just build it ourselves. So that brought with it, obviously, challenges in terms of time and resources and obviously paying someone else who had already to build something that someone else had already built. So in terms of that, the age old buy versus build debate is is really prevalent as you, you know, mention it. So what are your thoughts on this for a product person or a CXO in security or payments? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all a relative question, right? Like there's there's probably there's probably a point of no return where a company should never build anything. <laughs> they're just so big <laughs> and the process is so muddy and it's so hard that they're, you know, their quickest timeline to market is three years, right? Like three years in, in payments, you just missed your window of opportunity to come to market. So I think that's one example of where your relative position in a market is. Like if you're agile. You have access to like developers that have time in their product roadmap to help deliver things, then building becomes a lot more prevalent. If you're too early, oftentimes partnering is very smart just because you need that borrowed expertise. Right. And so, like very early stage companies, I wouldn't recommend building a ton of stuff because you need to see how the experts in the industry are doing it. And then, of course, there's portions that you want more control over and you should buy those and over time bite off those pieces. All right. And I love how those kind of paired together those questions. All right. So a lot of innovation in this economic environment, innovation, specialization and reliability are key. So what are some tips or trends that you're seeing that you're excited about? Yeah, the, the trend that I think, you know, I've been looking at very closely and I think the whole industry has is a lot of folks have been waiting for pay-by-bank, account-to-account-based payments to become a larger part of the ecosystem. It hasn't happened. I know there's been a lot of startups that have tried. I know big banks have tried. You have like peer-to-peer movement examples like Zelle. But I don't think it's become what it is in Europe. And you know, account-driven payments are very prevalent in Europe. And so you know, I think the barrier to entry there is account information right now is kind of hard to access, right? Like open banking partners like Plaid and MS have done a good job of helping you get to the bank account information. But then the storage and the way you render it hasn't really materialized. And so like everyone, the merchant ecosystem has become really good at card on file. What we really haven't gotten to is being really good at bank account on file. And I think that's, you know, that's the evolution that's still ahead of us right now. Okay. Excellent. What's been the, what's surprised you the most since you've taken on this role of CEO? <laughs> How big our platform is. And this, uh, this is a little self-serving, a little bit of a shill for our company. You know, we've been in market a lot talking about how we help companies de-scope PCI and like, no questions asked. We do that really well. What I've been really surprised by is there's been, because of the way our vault is structured and the way that data comes in, stored safely, and very flexible in the way it's sent out to third parties, developers using our platform have done some incredible things, right? Ranging from, you know, being able to swap out a PSP really, really quickly to being able to match transactions across multiple processors. 
So there's been all these novel use cases that are beneath the surface, surface with BGS that I'm really excited to like push forward. And, you know, we've built them as one-off custom use cases. And I'm just excited to make them, you know, more readily available. Awesome. Yeah, I'm still new and I'm not a subject matter expert yet. So I'm doing my best. But, but it, it was really cool for me to hear that the company was born out of a pain point that someone asked them to solve. I think that the best products come from come from pain, right? Yeah, I, I would say if you're a payment nerd, if you're a payment geek, this is the perfect company because there's just so much <laughs> so much stuff on our platform that we can turn into valuable kind of partner offerings. All right, so let's take a step back. I'm curious about how you got in this space. You have your JD, and then you started a company, and like, tell me, talk us down that road a little bit. Like, what got you to here? Yeah, so <laughs> there's no linear answer. It's kind of been a meandering path. But I think there's like one moment that probably matters the most. When I was in my second year of law school, and it was pretty clear at that point that being a lawyer wasn't going to be very exciting for me. So I decided to go work for a hedge fund at the time. And, you know, I was a compliance intern, so I was pushing paper around the office. But the fund I was working for did an investment in a company, a little known company at the time. And it was like a bridge round. It was just like last minute, like give the company a million bucks and just see if it goes or not. And that million bucks probably became like $60, $70 million within seven months. The company was was YouTube. Oh, wow. Right. And it was just before the, the Google acquisition. And then I realized, holy, holy hell, this is lightning in the bottle. Right? Like you, you can take a million bucks, turn it into 70. And like YouTube, of course, is the product of all of this use. So that got me hooked. That was the juice that got me into tech. Um, and then, of course, through kind of career internships development, like I got connected with the trial pay folks, had an awesome run there, kind of just learning Internet 1.0, Internet 2.0. I was there in the time from software being a dominant form, like literal downloadable software to everything be available on a mobile browser. And towards the end of my experience there, like you saw the hard transition towards apps and mobile environments. And so that was an incredible learning curve in terms of watching the internet really grow up. And then the second experience is then at Visa. Like Visa feels like this old, like a, a big company, a stodgier company. But if you go from 2015 to 2022, the industry entirely changed. It went from predominantly in-person swipe-based, as you described earlier, to being a lot of it mobile-based, right? And, and so that both of those experiences have kind of just kept leading me down this innovation path of like, okay, how do we make things that seemingly are easier even easier? Right. And that always has throughputs to change lives. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah, my my career is a little non nonlinear also, but in different ways. I didn't get my JD, but I did I started in tech and software companies, you know, I worked for a company that did cold storage, you know, where the the cloud wasn't even a <laughs> wasn't even a notion yet. And then I went to a dot com and got hit by the dot-com bomb and then, you know, all these things. So it's for me, this is really fun. I, events have been part of my career throughout in one way or another, mostly throughout all that time. But to be back in tech and at a company that's doing such cool things, it's been ex exciting for me. It's almost like coming full circle personally. So 
Yeah, the boom and bust cycle it never gets old, right? And like, right, you know, there's a boom, there's a bust, and then out of it comes a, a company like Facebook, right? There's a boom and there's a bust, and out of it comes a company like Coinbase, and so it's just this incredible kind of fun roller coaster. I just love being in the middle of it. Yeah, hundred percent. So this has been such a great chat. We ask every guest, who's a person or company out there that you're following that you think is making waves in fintech or payments and you can't say VGS <laughs> or Visa? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you just took away both my answers. No, I'm totally joking. There, you know, the company that I like watching a lot in in fintech is Square now Block. Right. And because they've lived kind of these cycles and, you know, keep coming out of it on the other side stronger. So, for example, they started a, as that dongle company, the thing that you plugged into the bottom of your phone and they made every device a point of acceptance. Then, you know, they along the way, they picked up Cash App and now Square Cash App is, you know, the dominant kind of mobile wallet in the US. And, you know, over time, they've picked up other companies along the way where they're great kind of web hosting solution with Weebly or they just keep continuing. And then they bought Afterpay kind of about a year ago to two years ago. So they just keep staying at the forefront of fintech, staying relevant. But then they've continued their the businesses they've acquired along the way turn into the dominant player in their space. Right. And so they're able to do both things well, which is like innovate while maintaining and growing large businesses. So they're also based in Oakland. So I have a personal preference to see you drive by their office. But with that said, like that is the one larger company in this space that's been able to do the healthy balance between growing a sustained business while bringing in new things to layer on top. Fabulous. Well, I think this has been a great chat. I think our listeners and our team too, right? All, all our colleagues will know a bit more about Chuck Yu than they did before. So thanks for being with us today. Megan, really appreciate the time. All right, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, listen back to previous ones if this is your first time, but also share it with someone who you think would find it interesting. The more it gets shared, the more listeners we get, the more we can have an impact on the industry at large. This has been another episode of Descoped, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Descoped, the payment security podcast from VGS. For more insights, practical advice, and the latest trends in payment security, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app or check us out at verygoodsecurity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.